You're listening to the Prayer Storm Podcast. We pray that this teaching blesses you, challenges you, and equips you, leaving you ignited for all that God has for you. Don't forget to check out James Laderin's book, Life on Fire, which is out now. You can find this and more at prayerstorm.org, or you can click the link in the description below. Hallelujah. Well, it's a real honor to be with you tonight. Who's glad to be in the house of God on a Friday night? Come on. Um, so I'm Andrew. Um, I'm here tonight with uh, my wife, Laura. Uh, we, uh, we came to one of the very first Preston meetings that you guys ever did. I think that was when I first met um, James and Rebecca many years ago. And it's incredible how God has turned a meeting into a movement. And you guys, God is using you to shake this nation. And so um, aren't we grateful for... James, for Rebecca, for all the guys here at Press Storm, we honor what God's doing in, in your life. Um, I, I lead a ministry called Generation Builders. I say I lead a ministry. Basically, it's just me traveling around the place telling people about Jesus. Uh, I just got back from Mexico. We, we were there for two weeks, and we had a phenomenal time, just city after city. Uh, saw thousands and thousands of people encountering the Holy Spirit. Many souls saved, incredible miracles. Uh, but it's great to be here in the UK, um, and I'm hungry to see God move in our nation. Anyone else? Um, I, I'm, I'm part of the leadership team of a church called Revive Church, which is based in the city of Kingston upon Hull um, in East Yorkshire. So we traveled a couple of hours um, over the Pennines to be with you guys um, this evening. Uh, just real quickly, I've got some books over there which you can, uh, you can have a look at at the end. Um, who knows Jesus Loves the Church? Um, this, is, uh, this is my first book. It's called Seeing the Church, When Your Purpose collides with God's passion and really it is a book full of teaching on what the church is, how Jesus sees the church. You know, as we come out of the, the you know, the last couple of years of COVID, I know there's a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders who are kind of really asking questions right now. What is the church? What should the church be? Um, and really this book goes through the, the scriptures and really looks at how Jesus sees the church. The church is his body, his bride, his army, his sheepfold, his family, all kinds of stuff. So that's what this book is about. Would anybody like a free copy? Okay, there you go. Okay. This book, this is my most popular book, and it's so popular that looking over there, it's sold out. So this is the only copy available for, for, for well, I'm going to give it away, in the entire world, okay? Uh, unless you go on Amazon and buy one. This is called uh, The Miracle Table, Rediscovering the Power of Communion. I've had incredible testimonies from all around the world of people that have been set free, healed, marriages restored, people having powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit as they've read this book and then taken communion. Um, so I, this literally is the only copy left. Um, anywhere apart from on Amazon. So um, if you want to buy one, have a look on Amazon. There are copies there, but uh, people over there, I'm not going to be able to hit you guys, so you'll have to come up and run. There you go. Okay, and then uh, this is my latest book. It's called the... Oh, well, wait, i got to do the plug. Uh, this is The Sound of Heaven. Um, who knows, whenever God moves, there's a sound. Um, and so this is how to hear the sound of heaven and how to release the sound of heaven as well. I believe this is a prophetic book for our time, so uh, you get that. There you go. But all the other copies are there. Awesome. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21. First Samuel 21, it says, David went to Nob to, him, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. 
But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elar, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Hallelujah. Can we say amen to God's word tonight? Um, Let me just give you uh, the, the timeline of where this is in David's life. David has been prophesied by Samuel the prophet that he is going to be the next king of Israel. Um, Samuel has come to his house. Samuel has anointed him with oil. And so David is carrying this prophetic word, this prophetic destiny that one day he is going to be the next king of Israel. However, at this moment in David's life, David is in his darkest hour. It's in his lowest moment because his father-in-law, Saul, who's the current king, has tried to kill him. Who knows that that makes family dinner times a little bit awkward when your father-in-law is trying to kill you. The reason that David suspects that his father-in-law is trying to kill him is because he's just thrown a spear at his head. Um, Who knows that David loved God? Who knows that God loved David? Who knows that David was anointed? Who knows that David was a man after God's own heart? And yet David found himself in a moment in his life of incredible isolation, a moment of incredible testing, and a moment of incredible trial. Jonathan, his best friend, has just sent word to David and said, David, you have got to leave town now if you don't leave town now my my father is sending men to kill you and so literally David has to escape town that night that moment he leaves behind his house he leaves behind his wife he leaves behind his children he leaves behind his possessions I mean he is so empty-handed we just read it there he doesn't even have bread for the journey he has to leave his weapons he has to leave his men he has to leave everything he has to leave the the palace which is where God has said he's going to be exalted and he literally has to go on the road with nothing on no one who knows that is an incredibly challenging situation to be in imagine that you are woken up in the middle of the night tonight and someone said someone is about to come to your house to kill you you have got to leave town now you've got to leave your family you've got to leave your friends you've got to leave your possessions you've got to leave everything just get out of here otherwise you're dead David must have been frightened. He must have been anxious. He must have been questioning and confused. God, what on earth are you playing at? Even David, a man anointed by God, went through times of difficulty and testing. And who knows that it doesn't matter how anointed you are, how called you are, how much you love God or how much God loves you. Who knows that every one of us will be challenged. Every one of us will be tested. Every one of us will go through difficulty. Every one of us will go through those days and those hours when it looks like the prophetic call and the prophetic promises that God has spoken spoken over our lives seem like they're a million years away from being fulfilled. Has anyone been there? The question is, how will David respond and where will David go in this hour of testing? Where will David go in his darkest moment? In this moment of fear and isolation and pain and confusion, where will David go? 
What I find really interesting is that even though Samuel the prophet is alive, David does not go to Samuel's house. Instead, he goes to the house of a man called Ahimelech. Who is Ahimelech? Ahimelech is the high priest in Israel. When David was confused, he went to the house of the high priest. When David was lonely, he went to the house of the high priest. When David was in a mess, when David was scared, when David had nothing, he went to the house of the high priest. Who knows that tonight we have a high priest and his name is Jesus. And tonight it doesn't matter what you're going through right now, what your family are going through, doesn't matter what your need is, there is someone that we can come to. There is someone whose house we can come to. There is someone whose presence we can come to, and that is a high priest called Jesus. You know, many times in church, um, you hear preaching about Jesus as our saviour. And you hear preaching about Jesus as our healer. And you hear preaching about Jesus as our king. And who knows that Jesus is all of those things. But sometimes you hear much less preaching and much less teaching on the fact that Jesus is our high priest. But for me, one of the most powerful and one of the most beautiful offices that Jesus has is that he is our high priest. This is what the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way like us, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 7 says, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Come on someone. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Hebrews 10, day after day, every high priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, someone said this priest. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hallelujah. Who's glad that tonight we have a high priest called Jesus? Hallelujah. 2,000 years ago, our high priest entered the Holy of Holies and he offered his own blood on the mercy seat. And it is that blood that silences every lie of the enemy. It is that blood that silences every accusation against you. It is that blood that silences shame. It is that, vo- it is that blood that has made you holy and righteous. That verse even tells us that we have been made perfect through that one perfect sacrifice. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. I'm so glad though that this high priest was different to all the other high priests. You see, all the other high priests, they went through the veil into the Holy of Holies to offer the the, the blood on the mercy seat. But when all the people would stand outside, they would stand outside the presence of God as the high priest went into the presence of God. But this high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he tore the veil. He made a way 
way so that now every one of us can follow him into the Holy of Holies. Our high priest, he is the tabernacle. He is the temple. He is the altar. He is the blood. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest. He is the mercy seat. He is the Holy of Holies. He is everything. And tonight we can come into his presence. We can come right to the very throne of God. We can pray. We can intercede. We can praise. We can dance. We can worship with no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, no accusation. Because our high priest offered his blood and made a way for all to enter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, we read it, such a high priest truly meets our need. Oh, hallelujah. Whatever your need is tonight, such a high priest truly meets your need. Do you need forgiveness tonight? Such a high priest truly meets our need. Do you need healing tonight? Such a high priest truly meets our need. Do you need deliverance tonight? Such a high priest truly meets our need. Do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight? Such a high priest truly meets our need. Do you need salvation for your family tonight? Do you need provision tonight? Do you need a Oppression lifting off of you tonight. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Whatever your need is, we have a high priest called Jesus who meets that need. Someone give Jesus some praise. Hallelujah. 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 We have a high priest in his office as high priest. The Bible tells us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for me and you. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that tonight the perfect intercessor is praying for you? The one who always prays in the perfect will of God. The most highly favoured one of heaven is praying for you. The one whose prayers are guaranteed to always be heard, always be answered and always come to pass is praying for me and you tonight. Aren't you glad about that? Hallelujah. Robert Murray McShane said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear all the forces of hell yet I know that distance makes no difference he is praying for me hallelujah hallelujah in David's hour of trial an hour of testing there was somewhere where he could go and it was the presence of Ahimelech the high priest and tonight we have come into the presence of our high priest his name is Jesus amen Amen. Now look at this. David arrives at the house of Ahimelech and he says this in verse 3. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. David comes to Ahimelech's house and he's welcomed, he's accepted. But that is not enough for David. David says to Ahimelech, look, I'm hungry. Feed me. What do you have in your house to give me? What do you have in your house to sustain me? This was David's attitude. I am not leaving the presence of the high priest empty-handed. I have come to the presence of the high priest and thank God I've been accepted. Thank God that this guy is not trying to throw a spear at me like the king is. But it's not enough just to be in the presence of the, of the high priest and leave empty handed. I have come to receive something from the high priest. I'm leaving the presence of the high priest having received something from him. I don't know if there's anyone here tonight who has come into the house of God and you are hungry for something from Jesus tonight and you are determined that you are not going to leave the presence of the high priest empty-handed. Hallelujah. David says to Ahimelech, look, do you have some bread or what do you have at hand? In other words, I know that you've got something. I know there is something in your presence to give me. Give it to me. Who knows that there is something that Jesus has for us tonight. We just read it that we come boldly before the throne of grace. And it says that we may receive. Everyone say receive. 
we may receive mercy and we may find grace to help us in our time of need. We come into the presence of Jesus tonight. We've come to receive something. We've come to find something. We've come to get something tonight. I'm here tonight, not just to preach, but I'm putting a demand on Jesus tonight. I want to leave this place carrying something. I want to receive this place. I want to receive something from Jesus in this place tonight. David said to the high priest, I'm hungry, feed me. Is anyone else hungry tonight? Anyone else thirsty tonight? You're saying, Jesus, what do you have on hand? Whatever it is that you have to give me, I receive it tonight. But I am not leaving this place the same way as I have come in. I am not leaving this place empty-handed tonight. I have come to receive from Jesus. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. And I love Ahimelech's response. The priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread. Yeah, you can have bread, but it's not ordinary bread. The only bread that I have is consecrated bread. Now, consecrated bread was the bread that was placed on the table in the holy place and it was left there 24 hours and then the following day the priest would come and he would take that bread and put fresh bread on the table and what the priest believed was this that as that bread spent 24 hours in the in the holy place it would become soaked it would become saturated in the presence of God It was known as the bread of the presence. And only the priest could eat that bread. And they believed that as they ate that bread, they were eating, they were receiving into their body something supernatural, something divine. They were feeding on something that was soaked in the very life and power and presence of God. Ahimelech said, that is the only bread I have on hand. And David was like, I'll take it. You see, in the presence of Jesus, there is bread to eat. But it is not ordinary bread. What he wants to feed you with tonight, what he wants to fill your life with tonight, What he gives to sustain you tonight is nothing like the bread of this world. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, Jesus is the giver of bread, and he is the bread. And in his presence, you feed on something which is supernatural. You feed on the very life of God. And the Bible says that if you eat of the presence of Jesus, this bread will cause your hunger to be satisfied and your thirst to be satisfied. Who knows that as long as we feed on the bread of this world, as long as we eat from the tables of this world, we will always be hungry. But as we taste and see that the Lord is good, we are tasting on that which will satisfy. That verse tells us that even as we eat of Jesus, we will live forever. The bread that in his presence, it contains eternal, everlasting life. Come on someone. 
Is anyone hungry tonight for the bread of Jesus, the presence of Jesus? Is anyone here come to eat of him and drink of him? It is not ordinary bread. The love that he gives is not ordinary love. It is unconditional love that is so high and wide and deep that you cannot even comprehend it without the Holy Spirit. The peace that he gives is not ordinary peace, but it is a peace that passes all understanding. The joy that he gives is not ordinary joy but it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is nothing about the presence of Jesus that is ordinary. Everything in his presence speaks of supernatural life, supernatural power. Everything about him is divine, glorious, wonderful. Everything about him satisfies every human heart and every need in this place. Oh, taste and see that he is Good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was a woman who came to Jesus because her daughter was possessed by a demon. And, and you know that this woman was a Canaanite woman. She was a Gentile. And so Jesus initially, she, he ignores her. And then finally turns to her after she doesn't give up. She keeps asking, keeps petitioning Jesus. And he said, it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And this woman said, yeah, but even the even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this. This woman recognized just one crumb from the master's table is enough to get deliverance for my daughter. Who knows that we are not Gentile dogs tonight, but because of the blood of Jesus, we are part of the family of God, which means you don't just get a crumb from the table, but you get the whole loaf. Hallelujah. So if... So my question is, uh, if, if, if a crumb is enough to deliver someone with a demon, what can the whole loaf do? Do you think the whole loaf might be able to heal cancer? Do you think that the, the, the whole loaf could cause blind eyes to open, deaf ears to open, people get out of wheelchairs? Do you think that the whole loaf could so empower you that God could use you to see a city shaken for his glory? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love how, you know, this story here where David receives bread from the high priest. This consecrated bread, it was only meant to be eaten by the high priest. Who knows, David was not a high priest. David broke God's law by eating that bread. But you know, Jesus in each one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, quotes this very passage, but he never rebukes David. Instead, he uses David as his example for the disciples eating grain on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, well, David brought the law, so therefore it must be okay. It's almost like in the high priest's presence, there is a higher law at work than the commandments, and it's the law of hunger. And it's this, that if you are hungry, that with your hunger qualifies you when the law would disqualify you. So there may be some people here tonight and the enemy wants to tell you about the things that would disqualify you. But God says tonight, I know all about the things that disqualify you. I wrote the book. I wrote the law. But listen, if you are hungry, then that will qualify you to receive what the law would disqualify you from receiving. So right now the enemy might say, you're disqualified from being used by God in revival. You're disqualified uh, to receive, you can't receive your healing. You can't receive your encounter. Or, you know, James can have an encounter because he spent all day, all week praying and fasting and in the third heaven. But, you know, you've come in tonight full of sin, full of guilt, full of apathy. You've not read your Bible for a month. You are disqualified. You cannot have an encounter with God tonight. But listen to the word of God tonight if there is hunger in your heart it is that hunger that qualifies you your past may disqualify you your, your terrible prayer life may disqualify you your lack of faith may disqualify you but if you are hungry tonight that hunger will allow you to come into the presence of Jesus and receive all that he has for you the, the enemy would focus on the laws and the rules and the things that would disqualify you but the only thing thing that God looks for tonight is your hunger if you're hungry 
if you're thirsty, if you're passionate, that you can come into a place of encounter tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he receives the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Now David is going a step further. He's saying, okay, you, you've given me bread to satisfy me. Now I want to know, have you got a sword to empower me? Who knows that in the presence of God, he doesn't just want to fill you. He wants to empower you. Come on, someone. You know, sometimes in revival services, we just come to be fed. We just want to come and enjoy the worship and enjoy the preaching and enjoy a nice kind of altar call time. And we leave full. We leave satisfied and praise God for all that. But I believe there's a group of people here tonight that want more than just infilling. You want empowering. You want to leave this place carrying a sword from God. You want to leave this place equipped to fight the battle, equipped to be an overcomer, equipped to, to, over, to overcome any obstacle that the enemy would put in your way. And anyone on my way of thinking? Amen. Don't you have a, a sword or a, or a spear here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Verse 9. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. You know the story. As a teenager, David faced a giant called Goliath. I wonder if as a teenage boy, I know that we read the scriptures and how David's full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. I wonder if there was a part of David facing that giant wondering, what on earth am I doing here? Have you ever been faced with a giant? And you're wondering, God, why is this giant in front of me? God, I know that speak the word and you could take out a giant. But you want me to fight this thing? Who would have known that years later, David would have needed a weapon? And if there had not been a giant, there would not have been a sword. Or let me put it like this. The thing that hell sent to kill him was what heaven used to empower him. And in your life, you might be faced right now with a, with a giant of temptation, a giant of addiction, a giant of depression, a giant of sickness, whatever it may be. And you may be wondering, God, why on earth am I struggling with this giant? Why on earth am I facing this giant? It's like hell has sent its best agent to take me out. But you need to know, friend, that why the Bible tells us to rejoice in tribulation. Because when you overcome that enemy, when you overcome that tribulation, what does God do? God empowers you. God gives you the authority to face all the other giants. And you, you go into the next fight with an authority that you would never have had if you hadn't faced the previous giant. David would use the sword of Goliath to take out Philistine after Philistine after Philistine. You carry on reading about how David and his mighty men would ride into battle and they would defeat the armies of the enemy time and time and time again. That happened with the sword of the very thing that hell sent to take him out. <laughs> 
Let me tell you right now, some of you that are facing that giant, don't be like the children of Israel that hid in the tent. Don't get discouraged. Don't get defeated. Don't think that that it's too much for you. But like David, you rise up. And you say, I come against this giant in the name of the Lord God. I'm not going to run. I'm going to fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as that giant comes down, God is not only giving me victory today, but he is also empowering me with a sword to fight for tomorrow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. That's a weird place to put a sword. What was the ephod? The ephod was the breastplate that the high priest wore. So the ephod covered the heart of the high priest. The sword is under the ephod. If you want the sword, you have to get under the ephod and touch the heart of the high priest. You see... We live in an age in the church where everybody wants a sword. But few want to go under the ephod. You see, the sword speaks of victory. The sword speaks of power. The sword speaks of authority. Who knows, if, if you were to do an altar call, who wants more power, everybody would run out to the front. Who wants more authority? Everyone would run out to the front. Who wants victory right now? Everybody would run out to the front. But who knows, it's less popular when you do an altar call that says, who wants to get under the ephod and touch the very heart of God? In prayer, in fasting, in worship, in consecration, in holiness and devotion, I am getting under the ephod and touching the heart of God. The sword can also speak a ministry. And again, we have so many in the church that want to grab hold of the sword of ministry. And yet they have never taken the time to get under the ephod and touch the heart of God. And that's why we got lots of people with microphones, but less people with anointing. We got lots of people that can preach a sermon, but less people that know how to raise the dead and cast out demons. We got lots of people that can fill a crowd with great communication, but not as many who can attract the cloud of God's glory that can change a nation. The sword is only found in one place. It's under the ephod. And my challenge tonight, press storm, is this. I believe that God is raising up a generation that find their place under the ephod. Their greatest longing and their greatest desire and their greatest passion is not to seek the hand of God, although that's a great place to seek. Not even the face of God, although that's a great place to seek. But actually the ultimate thing to seek is God's very own heart. Get under the ephod and touch the heart of God. Because who knows, the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And you, you can interpret that one of two ways. Does that mean that David had a heart like God? Or does that mean that David was a pursuer of God's heart? Well, I believe you can't have one without the other. I believe David had a heart like God because he was a pursuer of the heart of God. 
And there is something that happens in my life, in your life, where you say, I am going after the heart of God. I recognize that my heart is a heart of stone, but I am going after God's heart. I want the things that move God's heart to move my heart. I want the things that break God's heart to break my heart. I want the fire that burns in God's heart to burn in my heart. I want my heart to be so entwined with him that I am one with him. I am my beloved's and he is mine. The Song of Songs says, set me like a seal upon your heart. I believe that that is the cry of a generation that we want to be a seal on the very heart of God. That I want to be... I want to be planted. I want to be sealed on God's heart. If you want to find me, I am branded on the heart of God. If I am a seal on the heart of God. If you want to find me, that's where I am. Seeking the very heart of God. That's where the sword is. If you get under the ephod, you'll find the sword. You'll find the power. You'll find the victory. You'll find the anointing for revival. You'll find the anointing that can change a nation. But you won't find it just chasing after the sword. You will find it by getting under the ephod and touching the very heart of Jesus. You you remember the Last Supper? All the disciples are sat around. And what, what, what posture is John taking? Bible says that his head was resting against the chest of Jesus. In other words, he got under the ephod and he literally touched the heart of the high priest. He got so close to the high priest that he could feel his heartbeat. Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter said to John, ask him who he's talking about. Why did Peter say to John, ask Jesus? Was it because Peter was shy and timid? Who knows, that's not the Peter we know. It was, it was simply this. Peter was too far away to hear. But because John was under the ephod, he gained access to information, to revelation that none of the others were close enough to hear. You want to know the secrets of God. You want to get revelation that no one else has access to. You want to get information about what God is doing. You want to know the times and the seasons. Get under the ephod and hear the heartbeat of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm nearly finished, but let me tell you, you know, I've got a a brother. And when we were children, I remember that one day my brother came home and just overnight, he developed an incredibly bad stammer, a very bad speech impediment. And he could only say a few words and um, he would just break out in this, in this stammer. And so my parents took him to all the speech therapists. And I remember going with them to hospital waiting rooms and to see people, but no one could, no one could de- deal with this or or do anything about this speech impediment and and they told my parents look he might have this for the rest of his life now my mama has never been in a church leadership position she's never preached a sermon Um, she's uh, never had a title or anything in fact she's uh, she's disabled she has multiple sclerosis she spent she spent most of her life in a wheelchair but She knows how to pray. And she decided, I reject that diagnosis. And she went to pray and fast. And she got under the ephod. She touched the heart of God on behalf of her son. And you know what? She got the sword of breakthrough. And that that stammer just supernaturally ended as quickly as it had begun. And today my, my brothers preach the gospel all over the world. I know in my own life, my own ministry, um, you know, I started preaching when I was 18 years of age. And for the first six years of my ministry, I was incredibly frustrated because I would pray for sick people and no one got healed. 
I prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and no one got filled with the Holy Spirit. I would preach kind of, you know, nice little three-point sermons. And yet, and people would say, oh, that was a nice message. But there was no power. There was no authority behind it. And I knew that there was an anointing and an authority that I did not have. And so I set my face to pursuing the heart of God. And I would come into church on evenings when no one was there. And I would walk up and down the rows of the church. And I would just say, Jesus, I am desperate for an encounter with you. Jesus, I am desperate for your glory. I'm desperate for your power. I'm desperate for your presence. I would go into my bedroom on a night and shut the door and lie down on the carpet and just say, Jesus, I want an encounter with you. Everything within me was pursuing the heart of God. And I remember in January 2007, um, God just put it on my heart. Look, just go away for a week and pray and fast and seek me. And so that's exactly what I did. I went to this little kind of self-catering cottage up in, up in North Yorkshire. And I said, God, I am not leaving this place until I have had an encounter with you. I am not leaving this place until I have got under the ephod and touched your heart. And I spent a week just worshiping and praying and crying out to God. No mobile phone, no television, no food, just me and Jesus. And I remember on the fifth night the glory of God entered that room. I was sat on the sofa. I wasn't sat on the sofa for much longer when the glory of God came into that room. I fell face down on the carpet and for several hours it was like wave after wave after wave of God's glory was filling my life. At one point I felt a physical hand holding me to the floor. It was like God was placing his fire in my heart and after a few hours it lifted and I was like... I have no idea what just happened, but I just, I, I, I've just had an encounter with Jesus. I've just got under the ephod and touched the heart of God. And you know what? That encounter marked me and changed me forever. Just a few weeks later, I was, um, I was in my, my own church and I just shared that story just like I've, I've shared with you guys. And um, I, I just said, church, I believe that I've had an encounter with God. If you want one, come to the front. And my little sleepy village church that had never done an altar call, I don't think, the whole church came out to the front. And uh, I was like, okay, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) So I just copied what I'd seen them do like on TV. So I went to the first person and just prayed for them. I don't know who was more shocked, me or them, but... (laughs) I realized that as I touched the heart of God, God had given me a sword. And one by one, the power of God touched people. People were healed and uh, people were healed in that service who are still healed today. Just a few weeks after that encounter with God, I was, yeah, man, I I was in a, a few weeks after that encounter with God, I was in a field in Kenya in Africa. And just praying for people, a friend was doing a gospel crusade. I was part of the ministry team. And I found myself stood in front of this woman that was eight months pregnant. And she not felt the baby move for over a month. And she'd had a scan and they told her that the baby had died in her womb. There was no signs of life. And so my kind of pastoral head kicked in and I was like, okay, I'm just going to pray that God would just comfort her and give her peace and that in time she'll have a child. But it was like in that moment, God placed a sword in my hand. And it was one of those where the mouth's speaking, but the brain's like going, no, no, no. But I placed my hands on this woman's stomach and out of my mouth came these words, in the name of Jesus, I command you to live. And immediately the baby began to kick in the mother's womb and came back to life again. <clears throat> I'll tell you, tell you one more story. I was in a, in a room praying for a young girl. She was about 11, 12 years old of age. She'd been sick and her mother had taken her to a witch doctor for to be cured. And it had opened her up to all kinds of demonic possession and 
just kind of writhing around on the floor, demon possessed. And so Koshi started to pray and minister. And I was saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, come out, all this kind of stuff. And I couldn't believe it, but the demon spoke to me through the little girl and said, there are nine of us and we're not going anywhere. So I was like, okay, I I had one line come out in the name of Jesus and that didn't work. How do you get the sword? You get under the ephod. How do you get under the ephod? How do you touch the heart of God? Well, I know one thing touches his heart more than anything else, and that's worship. And so me and the guys that were with me, we just began to worship and just sing the name of Jesus. And after a few moments, the demon spoke again and said, can you stop singing? I don't like it. So we were like, okay, we're singing louder. And as we worshipped and worshipped and worshipped, we got under the ephod. We touched the heart of Jesus. And God gave us a sword. And one by one, the demons left that little girl and she was completely delivered, completely set free. <clears throat> Tonight, friends, we're in the presence of the high priest. Such a high priest meets our need and there is bread in his presence he wants to fill you tonight with bread which is supernatural you can feed tonight on the very presence of Jesus you can leave this place tonight full full to bursting of the presence of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah But there's also a sword to empower you. I believe that God is giving a sword, not to one man, not to one woman. But God is giving a sword of revival to a generation. But not a generation that is just seeking power for the sake of power. Not just seeking revival for the sake of revival but are actually seeking the very heart of Jesus. That is a thing that we pursue. That is a thing that we long for. I want to get under the ephod and touch the heart of the high priest. Set me like a seal upon your heart. Hallelujah. This is how it finishes. The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Listen to this. If you want it, take it. I believe that that is a word from heaven tonight to this group of people. If you want it, take it. You want revival? Take it. You want the power of God? Take it. You want intimacy with Jesus? Take it. You want a breakthrough tonight? Take it. You want healing tonight? Take it. If you want it, take it. God is waiting for someone tonight to take it. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. I don't know about you, but There is none like him. There is nothing like his presence. There is nothing like an encounter with Jesus. There's nothing like it. Jesus, give it to me. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed this prayer storm podcast. For more content, find us on Instagram at prayerstorm, all one word, and on YouTube, prayerstorm TV.